Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Morning, Crosswalk. Hope you're all doing well today. My name is Phil Bischoff, and I am the Director of Outreach and Youth Ministry. And I wanted to first explain what Confirmation Sunday is. That's what today is. It's a special Sunday we have. And to explain that, I'll, ex- I'll explain what the word confirm means. Uh, the word confirm means to establish something as true. Now, these five young people um, all have studied the Bible for two years together, and they've grown up in the Christian faith. And their friends, their family have taught them about Jesus. But today is their chance to stand up and say, what I've been taught is my own, and my faith I want to establish is true. So it's their time to say my faith in Jesus is true, and I believe in him. Now I want to explain why I came up with this title of One Thing, and it has something to do with a conversation our Crosswalk staff had over a year ago. We were at our annual staff planning retreat, and we all made a goal that we wanted to have Sunday attendance at church be 600 total people by July 2016. And then we went around to each staff member and we asked this question to each of us, what one thing am I going to focus on in my area of ministry to help accomplish this goal? Now that's a lot easier said than done because there's a lot of worthwhile things at Crosswalk that we could put our time into. What should I focus on? What if I pick the wrong one? Well, what helped was, was an additional thought. This one thing that each of us would choose in our area, it had to be something that we would work on every day, and it had to be something that would lift up and influence everything else that we do in our ministry. So, for example, like I couldn't choose taking a nap as my one thing, uh, even though I wanted to a little bit, but... Uh, what I actually ended up choosing, for example, is, is I chose new uh, guests with new people. So when people come to Crosswalk, I would call them up and, and, uh, and meet with them. And I call these get-to-know-you meetings. And maybe some of you in this room I had one of those meetings with. And I'm glad I made that my one thing because I do feel it helped us go towards our goal of getting 600 people on a Sunday. But it also lifted up and influenced everything else I do in my job. And one reason is when I get to sit down and hear people's stories, it really shows me who God is bringing to our church. And so we're able to to help people more now that I have this insight. And also, it just got me more passionate about working in outreach and youth, hearing what God is doing in people's lives and and how much that that they need God. You know, here's, here's the truth. For you confirmands and for everyone else is that Sometimes the difference between having the right focus is the difference between success and failure. And I think that there's no better example of that than the company Kodak, okay? Now, you compromise might not even know the, the company Kodak, but those of you my age and older, remember a Kodak moment, right? You get either your disposable camera and you, you, know, you twist it, They were a huge company in the 80s and 90s, particularly the early 90s, in traditional photography. 
Well, did you know that Kodak actually were the first company to develop the first digital camera back in 1975? Now, that's a huge technology because I bet almost everyone in this room right now can take a digital photograph on their phone. So it was huge technology, and Kodak was the first one to have it. But they ditched the effort, and they didn't focus in on it because they wanted to focus on traditional photography. That, they thought that's the right focus. So it's not just about having a focus. It's about having the right one thing, the right focus. And since Kodak didn't have the right focus, in 2012, they declared bankruptcy. So here's the thought for today is what about in your life? What about in your life, Confirmands? What's your one thing? What's your one thing you're going to focus on, especially spiritually speaking, that will lift up and influence everything else in your life? Now, to do that, let's look at what God says in his word about that. Let's look at Psalm 27. And King David wrote this psalm. Let's read it together. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple." Now, here's the question is, why did King David write this psalm? And I feel he wrote this psalm because he found something precious. He found something that all of us, every human being, yearns for. And he mentions it in verse 3. David finds confidence. You know, I think all of us search in this world for, for peace, for confidence, for, for knowing that everything is going to be okay, that I'm on the right path. And I would argue that probably everyone in this room, especially as you get older even more, is we've had our confidence shaken at times to the very core. Maybe you've gone through a lot of suffering and pain and your confidence has been shaken in life. Maybe you, you look to the future and you're a little uncertain about where you're gonna go, where the future's leading, and, and you feel uneasy about the future, and you're not confident. Maybe you struggle with your sins of the past, or you're currently struggling with guilt, and you just don't feel confident in your relationship to God. Or maybe you, you really want to find your purpose and meaning in life. You want to know, what am I here for? And you don't have an answer to that. And so you don't feel confident. But at the end of the day, all of us at some point will probably think, what's going to happen when I die? And we think of our death and we feel a little uneasy about our, our death. And so confidence is something that we all are searching. And today we're going to talk about where your rock solid, steady confidence will come from. But you know what our, our society, our culture is going to tell you and tell all of you is that you've got to find that confidence from yourself. Our, our world tells us you've got to find your peace and your self-worth from right here. But, but here's the deal. King David wrote this psalm because he knew that that is the biggest lie. And he knew that like Kodak, 
Like that big company, that things can be going really fine when you have that focus, right? But at the end of the day, if you have the wrong focus, things will crumble when things change. And so what David does is he gives us a rock-solid confidence and, and he says it right here. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, meaning that David anchored his entire existence to being a child of God. And now he tells us what his one thing is. Look to the last verses. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So you can write this down. The one thing needed to be confident in this life and the next is a daily, crazy close relationship to the Lord. So as you write that down, I want to notice, I want you to notice that I didn't just write a relationship with the Lord. There's a reason I had you put down a daily, crazy, close relationship with the Lord because that's what David writes about. He says, all the days of my life, and then he uses verbs like dwell and gaze and seek the Lord. Now, let me break it down for you. What what if a friend came to you and a friend said, hey, I'm going to live with you. Is that cool? I'm going to come in your house. I'm going to live with you. And and when I live with you, I'm I'm just going to stare at you all day. I'm going to have my eyes like this and just gaze at you, maybe smile a little bit, and then I'm going to seek after you. I'm going to ask you questions every day. I'm going to come to you with all my problems. I think all of us would say our friend's a little crazy, right? A little creepy, maybe. That's crazy close. And David's writing this because he's describing a relationship that's different than just close. It's crazy close. And here's what David's saying. David's saying, I have found confidence in God. It's so so amazing, his love and his grace, that I just don't want to hang out with God just on Sundays. I want to be around God every day. I want to gaze at his beauty, meaning I want to think about who God is and all that he's done for me and just bask in that because there's nothing like it. And I want to seek God out. I want to have an unquenchable thirst to come to know him more and more. Now, um, getting crazy close to God can be a little scary. I mentioned Kodak before, and, and, and the reason they didn't get crazy close to digital photography is because it would have been a, a change. They were comfortable in traditional photography. It was making them a lot of money. There was really no reason to change. And so some of you in this room are are maybe thinking, you know what, I I get it, like crazy close to God, but I kind of like my relationship with God being a little safe. I kind of keep God, you know, right here, safe distance. I'm really not a a crazy close type of person. Or, Or maybe some of you have said, you know what, Phil, I get it, we're in church and you're saying that, but let's be honest. I mean, I've made something else besides God my one thing and and things are are going fine in my life. And I would say, yeah, they're going fine for now. And as things change and as especially trouble and suffering come up, all those other things seem to crumble, but God never changes. Let's keep going on to Psalm 27, verse 5. The same psalm here. Here's what David says. 
He says, in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Now, I'll give you this this fill-in right away. It says that this one thing will shelter you when trouble comes. Now, the thing is, it's amazing about suffering. It's one thing that that all of us experience. It's human suffering. And, And David... David was not always crazy close to God. I don't want you to think that some people are just born crazy close to God and and some aren't. Uh Uh-uh. David was born apart from God. We all are. And it didn't come naturally to him. But God in his mercy actually used the suffering of David's life to bring him closer. And I want to share with you a story because when it comes to suffering, man, there's a story I read that explains of, of, of a lady named Emily and how she had a safe relationship with God. Everything was going okay in her life. And then trouble came. Here's what Emily says. If you would ask me what I was thankful for before September, I would have said I'm thankful for my family, my home, my job, and for God. For a husband who loves me and cares for me, for our four children, they're healthy and happy, I'm thankful for a home I never dreamed of, for a career that allows me to work from home, to use my brain and make a difference for my company and my clients, and for a God that provided these these things for me, regardless of my worthiness. In September, completely out of the blue, my husband left me and our four children for someone else, who left her husband and two children as well. This other family were friends of ours. We'd vacationed with them on three separate occasions during the summer. I thought that they were our friends. My heart died within me. This couldn't be happening. My Christian husband, the one who with me sat down with our kids and explained that while divorce does happen, it would never happen to us. We made a covenant, a promise to God and to each other that no matter what, we would always be here for each other and for them. I sobbed and I begged him not to go, that we would figure this out, but no, he was leaving. After eight weeks, my heart was still crushed. God, is this really your plan? How could this be your plan? I have never been so angry. Our children are suffering terribly. There's father's wants come before their needs. I still love my kids, he says. Really? How can you love them and cause them so much pain? After four months, God is beginning to heal me in a way that I'm not sure I want to be healed. I want to see justice, but it's not mine to inflict. I'm beginning to try and pray for him, not about him. I'm beginning to pray for his heart to be healed, for him to come back, not to me, but come back to God. I need to move on without him, for now and maybe forever, but I have to forgive him to get through the bitterness. I will not be bitter for the rest of my life. But how am I going to make it? God says pray, and so I do. I'm going to pray for him on a regular basis. I'm going to love him, but I won't be a doormat. I'm going to support my family, and I'm going to seek God's plan for my life. I'm going to forgive him, but I won't forget. Because if I forget, I won't be able to use what I learned to help others who may go through this nightmare. I need to feel the pain, allow God to heal that pain, and transform me into someone that he's intended for me to become all along. Somehow, I feel excited. 
It feels wrong in so many ways to be excited about going through this nightmare. It's now been six months and my situation has gotten worse and yet I feel truly blessed. My kids are still dealing with the impact of their dad leaving. And yet in the midst of all of this, I've come to know God on a different level. Maybe say a crazy close level. To see him work in a way that I only heard about. To experience this is quite amazing. I've never had a big tragedy in my my life. Never really had to depend on God. I mean, sure, I prayed and I saw God work, but not like this. I never had the need to rely on God and truly just fall and rest on him. Now listen to this. Here's the highlight of her story. When I needed God's comfort, the image in my head used to be me clinging to Jesus and him hugging me. My image now is me just completely collapsed and him carrying me. And it is awesome. In the midst of this horrible situation where my whole identity and where my family has been attacked, I see glimpses of what God is doing and how my life and our lives will be changed. And I get excited to see who I get to be at the end of all this. You see, Emily got crazy close to God because he was the only one that was steady in her turmoil of life. And the quote I love the most is is where she said, my image now is me completely collapsed and Jesus carrying me. And you listen to what she says. She says, this is awesome. So this crazy close relationship with God is the only thing that will carry you through in troubled times, when trouble comes, when suffering comes. Now let's, uh, let's move on. Psalm 27, 10 to 11. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. So this is Psalm 27 again, and it's keep going through. And, and here's the deal is um, this passage might seem a little weird to you that, what, you know, why would your father and mother forsake you? David was forsaken, meaning people left him his entire life. His brothers made fun of him when when he thought he was going to defeat Goliath by relying on the Lord. You're not going to do that. King Saul tried to kill him, even though David made many victories for Israel and for King Saul. Jonathan, his best friend, passed away, died. David's very own son tried to kill him and tried to take his throne. People forsook him. And I'm guessing that for a lot of you, you've probably experienced someone leaving you in your life. Maybe someone betrayed you. Maybe someone that, that, you, that you felt would never have done that to you betrays you. Talk about a confidence breaker, right? But here's the truth. Whether someone intentionally wants to do it or not, at the end of the day, every single person will leave you through on on their own accord. Maybe they're trying to to hurt you or sometimes people have to move or people pass away. The only one that will never leave you or forsake you is God. And at the end of the day, you can rest on that. And it goes into our next verse. This comes from John 14, verse 6, and it says this. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So I want you to circle the words way, truth, and life here. Because what Jesus is really saying is, he's not just your one thing, he is your ultimate thing. Because here's the deal. Um, the reason I put these verses about mother and father forsaking him and stuff like that is, is here's, here's what happens. This time of year, we celebrate a lot of good things, right? Graduation is coming up. Education and a job are good things. You should pursue those. Tax season was just around. You eighth graders, you'll learn about that soon. Tax season's coming around. Some of you got a tax refund, right? All right. Hopefully you got a tax refund. Money's a good thing, right? We celebrate weddings this time of year. People are planning them. A spouse and family are really good things. Memorial Day's coming up. Pride in your country is a good thing. But let me be very clear. What we can be trapped into is we can make one of these good things turn into an ultimate thing meaning that we put our entire faith, hope, trust, and love in one of these things. And when we do that, what we do is we create an idol in our hearts. And an idol is not just something out of gold or wood that's a statue. An idol is anything in your heart that takes the place where only God is intended to be. Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, none of those other things, money, family, education, your country, none of those can be your foundation because a foundation is something that should last 24 hours a day, seven days a week that you can build your entire existence on. And only Jesus can do that. And the reason he can be your ultimate thing is because he showed you the ultimate act of love. He came to earth. He took on all of our sin, he died on the cross, and then he broke the bonds of death by rising from the grave. He's someone that you can bet on that can be your ultimate thing. So here's what I want you to put for the next fill-in, is you will be tempted to make other good things your one thing, but only Jesus can be your ultimate thing. Now, if I could go back in time and talk to my eighth grade self, if I could come back and I was little, little Philip, you know, sitting in the front row, and if I could say something, I could say two things to myself. The first thing would be invest in a good hat. Okay, you're going to need a good hat. <laughs> Actually, the, uh, the first thing that I would say is, is, is Phil, watch out. Because you are going to be tempted to make a certain good thing your ultimate thing, and it's going to cause you some pain. And for me, my ultimate thing was my reputation was performing well in life. And a good reputation and performing well in life are good things. They're even biblical things. God says, go after a good reputation and work hard and accomplish things. But what I did was I built my entire self-worth upon those things. And for a long time, I couldn't see it because everything was going well. When you, when you base your identity on that, you know what? I worked hard in school, got a 4.0. I was captain of my sports teams. I was valedictorian, student body president. And I'm not listing those things off to brag. I'm listing them to show that it reflected where my heart was at. 
that I built my entire exist- existence on, on performing and having a good reputation. And so I had to accomplish those things in order to feel confident. But then as I got older, I got into college, and uh-oh, I got cut from the sports teams in college. There's people a lot bigger and better than me now. And uh-oh, can you imagine it? In college, I got an A-, minus. so now it's not a 4-0, it's a 3.99, and my whole world was like collapsing. The girl that I liked didn't like me back, and now, uh-oh, my reputation isn't as high as it used to be. I'm not performing as well. I'm not a- accomplishing all these accolades, and all of a sudden, man... My whole identity starts to crumble. But this leads into my second thing that I would tell my eighth grade self is, you know, especially for you guys, you probably hear a lot from me, from other people, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And it can seem so repetitive and it can seem so I know that, but here's the deal. I would tell my eighth grade self, it's the truth. And rest your your identity. Make him your one thing because other things in life are going to go up and down and people that you thought would be there for you won't. And at the end of the day, Jesus will never leave you. At the end of the day, his love will get you through and that's what I would tell myself. And now here's here's the question though, is, is how did I arrive there? How did I arrive knowing I wanted to be crazy close to God? It's the same way that Emily arrived at that point, it's the same way that King David arrived at that point. Because remember, none of us starts off wanting a crazy close relationship with God. We want to keep him at a safe distance. But how do we do it? Let's look at our next verses. It says here, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, also, he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So I want you to circle those bold points, sustaining all things from his powerful word. We'll get back there, but let's go over the next verses too, because it's part of how you get this one thing. Matthew 26, 26 to 28. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and then he had given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, guys, this part, talking about God's word, right? Talking about the Bible, talking about the sacraments, baptism and and communion, because this part isn't the most exciting part. It can seem really repetitive in that God comes comes to us. the The way to be really close to him is to go where God reveals himself to us. And where God reveals himself to us, he's chosen is through his word and through the sacraments of baptism and communion. And and I want to highlight communion because part of confirmation is they learn what, what communion is and we invite them to participate with us in it. And see, the thing is, the reason why we talk about read your Bible, come to communion, come to church, the reason we do that is because we need to be reminded on a day-to-day basis that God loves us. Because we forget. And the best way to be prepared for those times that Emily went through, for the times David went through, for the times I went through, 
is to be prepared and to know every day that God loves you, to be in his word, to come and take communion. You know, I learned something from my high school basketball coach about the power of preparation. When I was in high school, my high school basketball coach made us shoot free throws every day in practice, like 50 of them. I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to go home. And I didn't realize why we had to do that until one game where I had to shoot 11 free throws. And every time I shot a free throw, the, the crowd for the other team went, boo, you know, yelling. And it is tough to shoot a free throw when everyone's screaming at you, right? And the deal is I made all 11. And not because I'm a really good basketball player. It really isn't. It's because I was confident. I was confident because, you know what? Ain't no thing. Every day in practice, I make these. But here's what we do. We deceive ourselves and we think, you know what? I don't really need a crazy close relationship with God. I mean, you know, reading the Bible every day and going to communion and going to church and joining a growth group. And I hear Pastor Dan talk about growth groups all the time. And oh my goodness, right? I'm, I'm okay, you know. I've got God in my heart. I hear people say this all the time. I've got God in my heart. I, I pray to him. But you know what that's saying? That's like saying, I'm not going to shoot a single free throw in practice, but when crunch time comes in the game, I'm going to expect myself to sink every one. Doesn't seem like a very, yeah, good luck, right? Doesn't seem like a very good plan. You know what a better plan is? It's that the reason David says that he wants to seek after God is because he's found ultimate confidence. So David says, man, I want to go back to that confidence on a day-to-day basis, and so no matter, you know, what my schooling is, my future is, my family, I'm going to figure out how to get close to God through his word. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to take communion because, man, that is where God reminds me that he loves me. All right. So you can write this down. The one way to have this one thing is through the word and sacraments. And I gave you a freebie there. Sacraments was underlined. Now, I'll give you some practical steps on how, how to put that into practice because you just say, yeah, read, read the Bible, you know, but, but how, how can I really do that? I'll give you some practical steps in a minute. But right now, I want to show you another psalm that King David wrote, and this is for our entire church here. And this psalm is Psalm 145, and I'm going to read this. It says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. Now, the reason I chose this psalm is because David, again, found this one thing, a daily crazy close relationship with the Lord, and he wants to share it with everyone of all ages. I just got back from a trip to Africa with Pastor Jeff. A little jet lag. It's like dinner time for me right now. Um, but one thing that I really noticed is, is over there, there was a, a shared sense of community, a shared sense that, that, you know, people of different ages, even if they're not my kids, they are my kids. I was going on a walking tour of the city, and uh, Jeff and I were together, and our, our tour guide was, was a native Mozambican, and, and a little kid splashed him with some rainwater. And if it was me, you know, you know what I would do? It's not my kid. I probably would just ignore it and just keep walking by. But this guy goes over to the kid, and in the most calm 
and friendly way, bends down, and he's smiling, and he said, uh, son, do you realize what you've done here? You've splashed me. Now, let's think about this. Was, was this good for you to do, to splash me like this? And so the kid's kind of listening, and he's caught, right? And so at the end of the day, he taught him the right way to go, patted him on the head, sent him off. And I was just kind of amazed. Like, wait, wait, do you know him? No, I don't know him. But, you know, the way that he thought of him is, that's my kid. I have a responsibility towards him. And, and here's why I mention that is, did you know that what the number one factor, if we want you guys in eighth grade, if we want your faith to stick when you're in college and when you're, and when you're a, an adult, and adults, you got to hear this. The number one factor isn't actually a, a peer-to-peer relationship, like having other kids your own age. It's actually how many adults, Christian adults, are you worshiping God with and volunteering with? If we want to see you around in 10 to 15 years, that's what we have to get you to establish. And here's the deal. I've always said that youth are not the church of tomorrow, that youth are the church of today. And so you young people, knowing what your one thing is, what are you going to do to have a crazy close relationship with God? And knowing that having relationships with adults in worshiping and volunteering is important to that, what are you going to do come freshman year and there's no more Ignite? And we're going to see you in here on a Sunday morning. Are we going to see you at teen night? Are we going to see you at the Lord's Supper? And adults, you're not off the hook either. Because if we're a church family and you're an adult, that makes you a parent. Now, I'm not saying everyone should, should sign up to be an Ignite and radiate volunteer. We're not all wired for that. But here's what I'm saying is, in your mindset, are the youth of this church considered to be your kid? Do you view them as your responsibility? Because God says that they are. We want to pass this one thing on to the next generation. And here's the deal. You know where it starts is just saying hi. I hear people all the time say, I don't know how you can work with youth. And I'm like, have you ever actually met one? <laughs> have, you, have you actually just said hi? And, and it's amazing. If you invest a little bit of time in a young person, it is amazing the things that they will do. Because here's the truth, unless we treat the youth as the church of today, they won't be around to be the church of tomorrow. But if we treat them as the church of today, watch out for tomorrow because some awesome things will happen. And so here's what you can do. I want to use Jonathan Favorite as a good example. You saw Chad and Rachel up here singing today. You know what? They're young people, but they started even when they were younger in teens. And and Rachel was an early teen because Jonathan said hi. And then he tapped him on the shoulder and he said, you know what? I want you to join my team. I know you're young, but come up. And this is the main worship team. And he's done that with a lot of youth up here. And you know what? These guys, they're going to stick. What if all of us did that? What if, if you're a greeter, you tap a young person on on the shoulder and say, would you greet with me? What if you're a team leader at Crosswalk, and instead of just looking at adults for your team, you look for a high schooler, and you say, come join me. That is making this one thing an intergenerational thing. And that's our next point, is the one thing isn't just personal, it's intergenerational. So now where do we go from here, right? This, this awesome confidence that we have. 
How do I put it into practice? And I, I want to read the last verse for you. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Or sorry, 2 Peter 3.18. That's the jet lag talking. It says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Guys, God's grace is just too good to miss. And that's why Peter says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why I ended with this. And I want to give you one practical way, and all of us here. If getting into God's word is the way that we get close to him, hey, that doesn't come naturally either. How do I read my Bible? How do I get the most of it? It's a big book. I want to show a a snapshot of our webpage, and it's not all of it. I just want you to see a glimpse of it. And this is under the announcements tab. And it's how do I soap my Bible? And soaping your Bible is one way to read your Bible, okay? And we list in there some different, how to do that. And this might not be your way you want to do it, but it's one way to, to get going. And we also list in there some, some daily Bibles that we on the staff have liked. So if you're like, where do I get started? Go to that webpage, okay? And then finally, I'll end with this, is this is why we talk at Crosswalk. We say three words, man. We say, worship, grow, serve. So you want to stay crazy close to God? Okay, worship. Everyone, come as many Sundays as you can. Worship with other believers. Together, right? I want to fill this place with high schoolers and with adults, people of all ages. Okay? Grow. For you high schoolers, are you going to come to teen night? For you adults, have you joined a growth group? Have you started the class system? And here's a crazy idea. If you want to shake things up, invite a high schooler to your growth group and see how that changes things a little bit. Gives you a a new perspective to it. And then finally, serve. If volunteering intergenerationally will keep these kids in the church, A, you can't invite a kid to serve with you if you're not serving. So did you join a team? And then you young people, right? Are you going to make the adults come to you or are you going to go to them? And say, I want to join your team because I know this will help me stay crazy close to the Lord. And finally, I want to end on this is, you know who's your biggest fan of staying crazy close to the Lord? It's God himself. It's the Holy Spirit. And he is going to be with you and he's going to knock on your heart and he's going to use the tools of his word and the sacraments to grow you closer. And here's our last point. Is God's grace is too good to miss. Make a plan today on how you'll grow this one thing tomorrow. And before I have the closing prayer, I'm going to invite the confirmands and their families to come up. And what we're going to do is we're going to share in the Apostles' Creed with with the whole church and talk about an intergenerational church. This creed has been passed down through the ages of it talks about our one thing, that God is our one thing. So let's say this together. So confirmands, come on up. And their families as well. Give you that time. Just stand up here in the front, and we'll all turn around and look towards the back. And we'll say this together. It's awesome. This is a tradition we've started a couple years ago of bringing families up, and I love it. And I'll stand on the step so I'm taller than everyone else. There we go. This is awesome. See all the support you have? All right. All right, so it's on the back screen and follow with me. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You guys may have a seat. And now, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for being our confidence, Lord. Um, there's so many other things where we try to deceive ourselves and think that if we, we only make family or if we make our job or we make money or education our one thing, that we'll be happy. But God, you, you show us that your son, Jesus, is the only one who's truly steady throughout life. And it's because of the love and the forgiveness that he has for us. And that through that forgiveness, we get to spend eternity in heaven with you, Lord. So, Lord, we just ask, especially on these five young people and in all the youth of our church, that you bless them, that, that you make their faith stick, and that you just continue to have them rely on you. And be with all of us, Lord. Be with the adults of this congregation and let us rise up to lead the youth so that they become the church of tomorrow and today as well. And Lord, we just thank you for Jesus. Be with us and guide us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff.